Hello, everybody. Chris Hislop, the Executive Director at the Montana World Affairs Council. And this is another episode of What, So What, Now What? The show where we bring you an international expert on the issue of the day. And in just five minutes, you become the expert. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome Troy Stangaron, in, and he is the Senior Director and Fellow at the Korea Economic Institute in Washington, DC, as well as a columnist for the Korea Times and a contributing author at The Diplomat, where he has written about Squid Game and the impact that Netflix is having on dramas and movies in South Korea. Troy, welcome, how are you? Chris, thanks for having me, it's great to be here. I really appreciate you coming on uh, because I count myself among those millions or tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people who are watching Squid Game on Netflix. Uh, and not only that, but also, you know, getting a steady feed uh, of other uh, Korean pop culture elements into, uh, into my world. And I think uh, I would be very interested to know, and I know the viewers would too, to, to help um, make some sense about Squid Game and what it might mean for us. Over to you. Well, Chris, as you and many of your viewers probably know, Squid Game is a drama on Netflix uh, from South Korea. It is, in essence, basically a program to where people are highly indebted take and play childhood games to compete to try and win a large amount of money to take and get out of debt. But the consequence of losing is that they lose their life. Now, ultimately, this is clearly a social commentary on society, capitalism, the debt nature of our livelihoods today. But also at its base core, this is truly a global success for both Netflix and for South Korean dramas. Um, about 142 million uh, Netflix households have viewed uh, the drama based on recently released uh, Netflix data. Um, Netflix estimates the show itself will be worth about $900 million globally for it, which means that the $500 million Netflix is investing in South Korean content will be covered by Squid Game alone. Uh, but at the same time, when we try to think about the global reach of Squid Game, um, estimates put it at perhaps 5% of the world's population have watched this show, which is just, you know, a phenomenal success when you think about it in today's fractured media market. That That's an absolutely staggering number, Troy. I had no idea of the scope and kind of reach of this uh, extraordinary show. Um, at, but given that extraordinary reach, I mean, what does that mean for, I, I mean, we can talk about the American entertainment industry or the global entertainment industry for South Korean export of, of culture. Um, tell us a, a, your insights a little bit on, on why does this matter? So this is important, I think, both for Netflix and for uh, South Korean uh, cultural content, specifically dramas. When we look at the media market right now, you know, people spend a lot of time on Facebook, where you're watching this right now. They spend time on Twitter. You know, it's not this type of situation where it was maybe 20 or 30 years ago, where you had tens of millions of people watching shows live. And so what Netflix has done is they've taken and invested in cultural content around the world. And what they then do is they no, don't just simply make that content available in the countries where they're producing it, but on their global platform. And so this is sort of a validation of Netflix strategy of developing domestic content in foreign markets then releasing it globally and having success developed that way. But at the same time, Netflix, as we've talked about, has provided a platform for South Korean dramas that simply didn't exist beforehand. Squid Game itself has been seen in at least uh, 98 uh, markets where it went to number one. At the same time, you have other South Korean dramas. Last year, 
Uh, they accounted for about 10% of Netflix's global top 100. So you have significant success in terms of South Korean dramas penetrating foreign markets now, thanks to Netflix. At the same time, Netflix is able to use those dramas to sell subscriptions around the world. Uh, I see. So, I mean, a brilliant business strategy, certainly, uh, you know, that is supported by excellent content, of course. But where is this leading us, Troy? I mean, um, will we see more uh, South Korean content or other global content from media providers using the same strategy? Yeah. So right now, um, Disney Plus is entering the South Korean market. They're going to produce about two South Korean dramas a year. Um, Apple, I just saw last night, has a South Korean drama that's coming out. So other streamers are picking up on this strategy. They're going to be, I think, slow to take and get to the point to where Netflix is. Netflix is investing $500 million this year alone in South Korean content. Uh, but what I think we're going to see, and the real question for what comes next is, one, how much of a reach is South Korean content going to be able to gain over time? Will there be other hits that come out of that market that touch uh, not just the South Korean populace, but also the global populace? And we should keep in mind that in Southeast Asia, about 34% of all streaming is South Korean dramas. So they are the dominant form of entertainment on streaming services in Southeast Asia. And I think, you know, the real question for Netflix is, you know, not just South Korea, but what other markets will end up producing, uh, you know, hits for them. Um, this past year, you know, I myself has watched uh, Money Heist, which is a Spanish drama, uh, Lupin, which is French. Uh, so we're starting to see this more and more to where, you know, Netflix is bringing to the United States and countries around the world content, not just from the United States, which well, Hollywood has done for most of its history, but content from around the world as well. Yeah, an extraordinary moment here in uh, American entertainment provision, if you will. I mean, I can imagine the kind of American media industry. And and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if I could add one more question here, Troy. Um, is, it, is it a kind of win-lose situation regarding this kind of media whereby American providers are losing because Korean providers are gaining? I think this is actually mutually beneficial because the more people who are interested in subscriptions to Disney+, Plus, Netflix, Apple Plus, or sorry, um, Apple's streaming service, you know, at the end of the day, also means there's greater exposure for U.S. content. Um, if you just look at the Hollywood numbers, I don't remember the exact figures, but basically more money is being put into the development of content in the United States for streaming than has ever been produced in Hollywood before. Now, some of that will clearly over time cut back because everyone is trying to build up content for their streaming services. But I think ultimately now, Rather than having to go and negotiate whether you can sell, for example, CSIS or some other famous show into a foreign market, now these contents will be on the streaming services and they'll have access there right away. Some of this will still get negotiated on the pay TV and cable as, uh, in those foreign markets, but ultimately you now have greater access internationally as well for U.S. content, not just South Korean content. Thank you so much for that, Troy. I mean, a real fascinating insight, not just into the squid game, but uh, the role of South Korean content and the way in which media providers, you know, provide this stuff and, and stream it to all of us, the hundreds of millions of people who are eagerly awaiting, I think, the next series. So thanks again uh, for your insights. I'd like to quickly thank uh, the, our generous sponsors for this program, the Dennis and Phyllis Washington Foundation, Allegiance and Stockman Bank. Thanks to the viewers. Thanks again to Troy. Everybody be well. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.